Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 322 for October 1st, 2009. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and this is our fourth and final episode for the New York Musical Theater Festival 2009. Uh, The festival runs from September 28th, so it's already started, and it goes through October 18th. And this episode, we have five more shows that you get to hear from, including two with live performances. Uh, we got The Happy Embalmer, we got One Night Stand, Anjou, A Tale of Horror, Academy, and Whatever Man. So uh, over the course of the series, you've heard from 21 of the shows, so make sure you go out and catch a few and, and support this bright new talent coming through. Also, just to let you know, the next episode of Broadway Bullet will be kind of back to a regular schedule. We normally do the second and fourth Thursday of the month, but since we're dropping this in the first one, uh, the next one will be November or October 22nd, and then we'll be back to our regular schedule. Uh, speaking of that, I forgot to give you the NYMF website. It's nymf.org. If you want to find out more information about any of the shows, when they're playing, their schedules, etc. So uh, take a visit there and relax and enjoy the program. On the boards. Have you ever gone to a wake and been so impressed with the embalming that you just had to tell everybody who did it? I don't know if that's happened, but somebody explores that in the Happy Embalmer, a madcap musical that is hitting Nymph on October 6th through the 10th. It is written by Mark Noonan, and it is joined uh, by... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just... It's written by me, Mark Noonan, and Nick Adi. Okay. He couldn't be here. He's over rehearsing. All right. You just wrote it down as a writer, so. Yeah. <laughs> and also, it's joined by two Jersey boys. That is the musical, maybe the state. Titus Burgess, actor, and Daniel Reichert. How you doing? Great. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having Yay. us, buddy. <laughs> Happy Embalmer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first thing I'm hitting everybody with is... The 15-second elevator pitch. You hop on an elevator with somebody, you got 15 seconds to convince them to come see the show. Titus, go. Uh, I play a badass Dalai Lama, hell-bent on a world uh, global domination uh, to make a, uh, myself into a global brand. And I get to just basically act crazy on stage. <laughs> it's actually pretty, pretty rocking. They've done an excellent job of writing this. All right, Aww. Daniel, your 15-second elevator pitch. This show is about Edward, this lonely and incredibly miserable embalmer uh, who has virtuoso talent. And soon he goes on to this epic 
Candide-like adventure across the world where he's being courted by the Dalai Lama, by an Icelandic community of models, and, uh, of course, a big Texas corporation. And basically, he's in pursuit of his own happiness. All right. Out of breath. These are some of the tightest 15-second pitches I've gotten so far. That's awesome. Okay, so Mark. Your 15-second you pitch. 15-second pitch? Uh, it has Daniel Reichert and Titus Burgess and <laughs> Megan Sikora. Because Daniel just covered everything about the show, what the show's about. And uh, no, The truth is that's probably the, one of the bigger selling points in, at this point. Yeah, because nobody cares who the hell I am. <laughs> <laughs> I care. I know you do. But no, it's we have a great, great cast. And we have Kelly Devine, who uh, choreographed uh, Rock of Ages. She worked on Jersey Boys. She worked on what? She's doing Memphis right now. Right. She's directing, choreographing the show. And we got Titus, we got Dan, we got Megan. What else? Kelly, in my opinion, is sort of the the, the hot new thing uh, in New York. I am so excited to see her career rise because she has such incredible talent. And in our show, she's getting to direct and choreograph, and we're just so excited. We have a wonderful team of designers on board. Uh, it's just a fantastic, fantastic <clears throat> experience. This show is very screwball. It's very colorful. So many characters. Most everybody in the entire show doubles, triples, quadruples roles. And uh, it goes all over the place. And uh, it's it's just it's outrageous and zany and lighthearted and it really I think also we get to satirize a lot of things in American culture such as you know the notion that basically celebrities are American royalty and we sort of have this complete obsession so we explore that a lot in the show partially because Edward is Edward my character is basing a lot of the people he's working on on the table on celebrities trying to make them look like celebrities so it's it's very interesting and we throw so many surprises and and uh, you know crazy little moments at the audience every three minutes in the show. It's a fantastic score, too, and it has a, a lot of different uh, bars from a lot of different genres, so it, it's going to, you won't be bored. A lot of different bars, so there's a gay bar, and there's a gay character. There's a gay character, yeah. Not me. Um, a no, leather but, bar. But we go, we have... <laughs> <laughs> Titus. <laughs> uh, we we have like a Beach Boys number. We have a Johnny Cash number. We have a there's a Jackson Five, Barry Manilow. Yeah. And every song, it's not just randomly that we're putting in these things. Every character, the genre really works for, and and that so it's appropriate, but. Really, I, I, what Titus said about the score, I mean, the thing that I'm so proud about it, uh, about working on it, is that the songs are really great, and there has never been a show done like this. That's um, for sure. I know that. Well, it's very original. Of, speaking of the music, uh, you've got a, a demo here. Do you want to play one of the songs from the show and tell us what's sure, going on sure. here? Sure, We would love to play, uh, can we play Charade first? Sure. It would be great. Charade is a song that is in the second act that is sung by uh, Tenzing, who is the Dalai Lama's like right-hand guy who's been with him for you know 40 years or whatever. And um, basically this song is Tenzing singing about how the Lama has lost touch and that's Titus. Titus has completely lost touch with reality. 
Is that me or you? That's you. I want to check my text while this uh, <laughs> song is playing. All right, check your text. This song rocks.
You know, that text was uh, publicist Dale Heller, one of my favorite people trying to get in. <laughs> so we, we, we let him in while the song is playing. <laughs> we need all the publicity we can get. That's so right. let Dale the publicist in. <laughs> all right. So uh, now, Daniel and Mark, I understand that you've known each other for a little while. A uh, couple weeks. Yes. <laughs> we met when we were 10 years old in French class in Cleveland, Ohio, Montessori School. And back in those days, we ten were... 10-year-old in French class. I know. That's, it's very that's... pretentious school. <laughs> 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 but, we, uh, but we became uh, best friends in junior high, and we were best friends all through high school. But in both junior high and high school, we started making movies uh, with, you know, even with all the jocks, like even the cool kids really wanted to do movies we with cool? us. We weren't no, cool. we were losers. That's true. But, um, but we used to make these movies and we would do parodies of Indiana Jones and It's a Wonderful Life and all these things and we'd show them at our school and people always got such a huge kick out of it. And uh, what's funny is there's even, you know, maybe three or four references in The Happy Embalmer that are, like, direct pulls from some of our movies when we were little kids. And this was just with our little, you know, video cameras. That's when you'd put the whole video cassette into Inside the camera, the <laughs> you know. So, and, uh, yeah, we we, we go shoulder. way back. We've gotten into a lot of trouble together, and we've stayed friends. And we actually live on the same street in New York City wow. 21 years later. So, Daniel, do you worry that the only reason you got this role is because you're friends with the writer and that you're really not good enough? Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I do worry, actually. <laughs> what do you think? Do you have anything to say about that, Mark? I think it's absolutely true. It is true. No, I will no, say the say only that. reason I got to be the cover art on the poster is because I'm his friend. <laughs> That's where I put my foot down. No, I would say, honest, to be truthful, this show would not have happened without Dan, because we've been putting together, like, the demo that we just played, um, like, that took, you know, months and months, and, and Dan got us, like, tons of great singers, and space, and musicians, and, you know, you've been, you've been there from the beginning. It's kind of fun to be on the front lines of a, of a project. I mean, normally when you're like Titus and I, with, with, our, with the shows we get hired to do, uh, it's it's wonderful in certain ways because you don't carry a lot of the responsibilities, but I think it's kind of wonderful when you do get to have them because you feel much more involved. And, you know, we're getting to the age now where we can actually start claiming our space in the industry and start to say, you know, we, we should put our work out there too. And while I'm not a writer of this piece, I consider myself definitely one of the creative influences on it and I, I i feel totally honored and so thrilled that i get get to work with my best friend of 21 years in, in, in on a new york stage i mean to me it just i can't even believe it's happening yeah sounds great on that note how about one more song from the demo yeah, absolutely. Let's. Um, we're going to play the Sad Sheep, which is also in Act Two, and this is. There are no good songs in Act One. So <laughs> we're just going to do Act. Two. The show's going to start at Act Two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How would you describe Sad Sheep? I mean, it's just a huge. The Sad Sheep is really the big reveal about what is happening with 
bodies coming back to life. And it's uh, Edward, the embalmer's mentor, Professor Pasternak, who lives in Iceland, who is telling him everything about what is happening with bodies coming back to life. And why they look so good. And why they look so damn So damn great. Good. All right, let's take a listen. Vladimir Lenin died My grandpa Boris Pastanov Was given the task to try To keep that dead body Looking still alive Alive, 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 alive He was the finest embalmer In all of the land With a team of embalmers under him Lending a helping hand He put everything Into the plan The plan, the plan, the plan, the plan, the plan, the plan his hopes and dreams, ideas and thoughts, wants and needs and lots and lots of And then one day Lenin sat up, looked at old Boris and said to him, Son, fuck the people, they're all sad sheep. change things for you because Jersey Boys wasn't isn't just a hit musical it's one of those wow <laughs> kind of well 
<laughs> it changed my life because I got to meet Titus. And everything course. is everything has been upside down. Since That's what everyone says it was a nice show. No, I mean obviously, you know, it was a total thrill to go on such a rocket ride. I mean, we all had great times. Titus and I started the show in La Jolla, California, even before the Broadway run, and we all. Uh, just had an incredible time there. And then when we opened on Broadway, it was such a complete sensation that I don't think any of us were even ready for it. I agree. I didn't actually, I was telling a friend of mine this the other day, I, was, I didn't realize how big it was until I left the show. And like, it was just like all the rage. Even after we won the Tony, I was like, okay. I still mm-hmm. feel that. I mean, That's even crazy. now, it's, it's almost, almost four, four years, four or five years later. And it is all over the world now. There's seven companies. I mean, I can't even... I still can't believe it. I was I was flying from Chicago, where there were Jersey Boys posters everywhere, to Boston. I get in the plane. I was in my plane seat looking. I take, took a nap, opened my eyes, and there I was dancing on the seat in front of me in the, in the screen. Got out of the plane, went down, grabbed my bag, pulled out to the traffic and there are cabs with Jersey Boys in Boston everywhere just in one day and I get into the car with a, with uh, my friend who was picking me up and I started telling him the story and Sherry starts playing That's on the radio crazy. I mean this is all in two hours so it, it really it changed my life um, Titus has gone on to so much so many more different projects you know uh, since since Jersey Boys which has been great I think the Jersey Boys sort of uh, solidified my relationship with Des Mackinoff. I've worked with him four times now. So he's he and I have uh, cultivated a very strong creative relationship. If so. only you could get to know a better, you know, more powerful director. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been very, <laughs> very, very lucky. So, yeah. And we're lucky to have him with our little show. <laughs> yes. So back to the happy embalmer. Sounds like a lot of fun, and definitely it's a chance to catch some, you know, great big talent right up close in a small, intimate stage. What theater are you guys at, by the way? We are at the Acorn Theater uh, in Theater Row, 42nd between 9th and 10th. Okay, the Acorn Theater, not to be confused with the group that tells you how to get away with prostitution. (laughs) I'm glad you clarified that. (laughs) There'd be some confused theater fans. (laughs) Though maybe the happy embalmer gives you some clues about how to get away with stuff? I don't know. <laughs> it helps you find your happy place. Yeah. Well, it's sort of, I think, what's on a serious note about the show, what I love about it is it asks the questions: what do you do in America with your talent and how do you make yourself happy with it? You know, because we're living in such an interesting time where uh, any, any sort of opportunity can bring you such happiness and such wealth, but it can also completely ruin your life. And we're in a, this very celebrity-obsessed culture, and this, this, through the eyes of Edward the embalmer, people are, are sort of getting to say, how, what am I like? What am I going for in my life? What, it, what, am I try, what, is, what am I doing to make myself happy? And am I fulfilling my potential? Mm. All right. Well, great. So it's October 6th to the 10th. Uh, they can go to, do you have a website of your own? You can go to uh, www.thehappyembalmer.com, or you can visit us on, we're on Facebook, too. And uh, we have a Twitter. We have. We do? We do, yeah. We tweet? 
And they can go there or the nymph.org site to find out yes, the, the fun festival scheduling. You can buy tickets through them. You can buy tickets through our website, through all, all different places. All right. And once again, Titus Burgess, Mark Noonan, and Daniel Reichard. 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 Uh, Reichard. All right. We're out of here. Come on. <laughs> the third, just think the Third Reich. Yeah, wait. Wait. Don't think that. <laughs> now that I've messed up your name a couple times today, a tongue twisting and it's early in the morning. Thank you so much and best of luck with this and future projects. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Thank you for having us. On the boards. All right. They say it takes approximately seven years on average to go from the page to the stage when writing a musical. So if you're just a little too impatient for that, maybe you should try something this next group does and just uh, skip the whole writing process and make it up as you go along. One Night Stand is going to be an improv musical event uh, taking place at the New York Musical Theater Festival on October 9th and on October 11th. And we have got... Uh, Part of the team here, Andrew Resnick, who's the pianist, musical director, improv player. Yes. <laughs> Samantha Martin, one yeah. of the performers, and Kobe Labee. How are you guys doing? Good. Pretty Thank good. You for having us. All right. So tell me about the story of what. <laughs> you just blown away everything I, I ask everybody. Uh, so. So what I am going to say is I make everybody do this. What's your 15-second elevator pitch to get people to come see the show? Uh, Kobe, first. Uh, sure. Uh, One Night Stand is an improvised musical, and uh, what that means is that we literally improvise everything. So the story, the scenes, the song, the song structure, the play structure, the, the melodies, every single thing you see on stage is completely made up on the spot with no pre-planning or structures or anything like that. Um, literally improvised. So now do you, how do you generally go about... Uh deciding what is, is this do you do several shows or do you do one show over the whole evening or what, what do you do so it's an hour long musical so at the beginning of the show we get three suggestions we get the title of the show uh, we get a song uh, a made up title of the show and then the title of a made up song that uh, the audience would like to hear performed in the show at some point and then a starting location and then from those three suggestions we do one uh, coherent hour long musical based on that well, oftentimes coherent uh, mostly yeah, <laughs> 90 you know so 9 out of 10 coherent uh, yeah. Well, now, I know you're doing this for two days at Nymph, but uh, where have you done this other places, or is this like your... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we um, we played the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for our, uh, two summers, 07 and uh, 08, I believe. Uh, we did about a 20-show run each time there, and we just finished a Los Angeles run. Mm -hmm. uh, we did about 20 shows over this past summer. And we've uh, played around a few other places, too. We did a couple other shorter Los Angeles runs um, sort of throughout uh, the group's history, and then we also played a couple of festivals, the Dirty South Improv Festival right. and, and things like that. So uh, what what made you want to come up to Nymph for two shows? Well, it's Nymph. Uh, it's <laughs> New York, it's the home of musical theater, and, and unlike a lot of... Uh, comedy, musical, improv shows. We're not uh, sort of making fun of the genre. We have a lot of respect for it. Um, we, we like musicals. We think it's a wonderful form. And in uh, making it up, you get the delight of, of improv comedy and also a lot of the satisfaction of, of an actual musical. So um, it made sense to come to the, the home of, of musicals, New York, and to a festival that really focuses on that. Yeah, no, it's great after a show if we can really pinpoint, like, this was a almost like being in love type song, or this was, you know, an 11 o'clock number, this was, uh, you know, a duet, a lover's quarrel duet. It's just good to pull out of actual musical theater. So how uh, is there a standard troupe that does everything, or do people rotate in and out? How does, how does this work? 
there's there's uh, not really rotating in and out. Uh, we have a, a, a full company, and then every once in a while, someone will get pulled away for another thing. So you know, uh, uh, but but basically, there's a set group of people that that do the show, uh, and that's that's who and it is. how many people is it's, this? Uh, it's it's on the pianist, and then we have six or seven improvisers who uh, go on stage, and for Nymph, we'll have six people. Is there ever any fighting over who gets to play what role? Well, Constantly. I want to be the uh, lead. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it's every uh, everybody's sort of grateful for the way it shows up. You know, um, one of the, the difficult things about improv is that you sort of you're sort of always looking to figure out what's going to happen. You know, so uh, uh, f- frankly, if you know if somebody else ends up being you know the, the hero of the story or the sort of the person the story revolves around, um, it's it, we're sort of more excited that we figured out who that's going to be than we are upset that it's not us. You know, because like it's it's a wonderful wonderful gift that we like have that much to hang our hats on because we're totally improvising and, you know, anything we can sort of uh, anchor ourselves to is wonderful, including, like, putting somebody in a lead role like that. So we're almost always pretty grateful that that happens and not, yeah. not, not jealous at all. <laughs> and I'd because say. there are only yeah. six people, I mean, everybody gets their moment yeah. or moments, yeah. you know? Especially over, like, a 20-show run, um, we have everyone ends up playing the hero or the villain or the love interest. Mm-hmm. Now, not to spoil all the secrets here, but I'm guess, especially from the company's point of view, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. wondering... Do you are, do you have like kind of a standard bag of tricks that you play that, um, that, that actors can follow? How do how do you? It's not a standard bag of tricks by any means. Um, what I will say is that I do have a decent familiarity with the musical theater canon and different harmonic vocabularies that are often used. But um, I never really go in with anything pre-planned or certain progressions which I'll pull out. It's always just kind of feeling the moment and. Uh, and going from there. Andrew's magical. Yeah, he's he's very good at his job. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you guys figure out when he's going to like go into a key change or, or shift into a you know a different chord? To, well, or, or do you just end up off key a lot? <laughs> well, there, you know, there, there is there is some of that. I mean, yeah. we're improvising, so it's not gonna it's not gonna be as perfect as uh, you know a polished, written, rehearsed show. But uh, we like to think we make up for it with the the exuberance of our spontaneity. You know, that the fact that uh, the, the the vibrancy that comes from really creating something together for the first time and really collaborating in this way is so overwhelming that it sort of uh, makes up for any sort of little technical deficiencies like that that happen. Right. But, but generally that, speaking, yeah, we don't really have that issue. Yeah. Um, it's also choosing the right moments for things like key changes, hearing where they are um, melodically and, you know, deciding, well, maybe now wouldn't be the best time to change keys or <laughs> maybe I should go ahead. But uh, it's it's just listening. Um, and we've done so many shows that I feel like you, Andrew, can kind of anticipate where we're going. And, and they can anticipate me. Yeah. We have a nice symbiotic relationship it's going on. And, and one of the things that makes Andrew so good at his job that I think uh, a lot of uh, people with his, you know, technical sort of piano skill set would, would have difficulty doing is really understanding uh, the, the emotional progression of a scene such that the music really moves along with that. So it's like if I'm an actor in something and I have reached a sort of new emotional moment and sort of am inclined to change something anyway, um, that instinct that I have, he also has musically. And so together we sort of recognize the same moment in, this, in a way that right. is partially from working together for a lot, but also just from... Um, everybody sort of uh, uh, being on the same page in terms of what it means to create a scene and, and create a character and create a moment. Okay, so we, we've got a treat here that uh, 
we just put up right before we started the interview. I put up a notice on Facebook asking people <laughs> to come up with a you know phony title of a show Beautiful. for you guys to to improv something, and uh, hopefully everybody's awake. And <laughs> I'm just realizing right now that you know the whole West Coast isn't up yet, and all the kids are back in school. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll find out if we we've gotten any responses here. But in the meantime, tell us a little bit about what what you're gonna do with this response once once I feed it to you. Sure. Um, uh, we're going to get the title of a show, is that what yeah. that we get? Which yeah. is one of the three suggestions we get um, at, the, uh, at the beginning of each show. And uh, uh, we're then going to sort of imagine uh, uh, a world uh, that inspires us based on that title. And we're going to sing, I think, two songs based on that, but we'll do sort of short uh, scene-lets running up to those, sort of like what you would hear on a Broadway cast recording, where it's like a few lines of dialogue before we launch into the song. Yeah. And so we'll do that twice, once with, I think, probably a solo song, and we'll see who, who ends up singing that, and probably once with a duet. duet. Yeah. Um, but we'll find, we'll find out. Maybe it'll be different. Maybe it'll be different. All right. Truly, we're improvising. <laughs> okay, let, let's go to Facebook and see what we got. All right, we're just checking Facebook here. Uh, Kia Squiteri, apologize if I mangled that name, uh, suggests On the Boardwalk or Mr. Pippin's Day Off. Uh, Karen Marshall suggested the platypus conundrum, and Michael Agosta suggested improv in the park with George. Uh, we ran this by them really quick, and I mean really quick, and they chose on the boardwalk, and they're ready to fly. Miranda, I know you come to this carnival every weekend with dreams of one day running it, but as your father, I have to tell you those days are over. Oh, father! How can you tear your daughter's dreams apart? Isn't a father's job to use his money and power to make sure that dreams do come true? A father's job is to make sure his daughter's on the right path. And my money and power will not be wasted on a daughter who's a carny. I'm sorry. I'm an oil man. If I'd had a son, I would want him to be an oil man, but I didn't. I had you, Miranda. So, so what should I be then, father? An oil woman. Give up your carnival dreams. Forget about the Ferris wheel. Forget about the dartboard or the squirty gun game. Start thinking about oil. Now, I'm going to go get one more cotton candy for us, and then we're leaving this place forever. If that's your wish, Father. It's not my wish. It's my command. My hands... Covered in black. No looking forward and no looking back. My hands dirtied with soot. From my head down to my tiny foot. How can I pretend that this?
looking to and fro. They know where they want to go. They want to buy their cotton candy. And then they want to see a freak each and every day. You're so brave. I, I'm just a local freak boy at this carnival, but the way you took that roller coaster and put your arms up at the highest, scariest part, and the way you walk away from your father, an oil tar tycoon, and come work this carnival anyway. Well, I think you're pretty brave too. I mean, wow, walking around with that huge hole in your stomach at all times. How do you survive? Oh, that doesn't take bravery. Just... An acceptance of being laughed at a lot. Well, I know a couple ways maybe you could fill that hole. Well, I, food goes right through it, Miranda. What are you talking about? Hmm. Well, have you ever tried putting someone's hand inside that hole in your stomach? No. Have you ever felt the warmth of another person's hand on that hole in your stomach? Also, no. People stare unaware of how it feels to have a hole inside them. How will you feel that hole inside you. All my life, I've been a freak, been ostracized and been called a geek. 
food flows through me and liquid too. It's only this ivy drip and a grody stew that keeps me alive, that helps me to thrive. But when I'm with you, when I'm with you, I see there are other ways to fill that hole inside of you. That's just me. I'm just a freak. No one else has a hole. Well, maybe not literally. But I have a hole inside me, too. No, you don't. Yes, I disappointed my father. It's true. And while you can't see my hole, while a food goes through me, sure, it doesn't mean I'm pure without any holes, too. Truly flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> a lot of fun. So One Night Stand, again, is October 9th and October 11th at the New York Musical Theater Festival. Uh, do you have a website people can go to for we, information? We do, yes. It's uh, onenightstandmusical.com. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> and they can find the times if they you know forget the dates there. They can go there and they can find out, I'm assuming, also like future mm-hmm. gigs you may be doing absolutely, here, absolutely. Or, here or abroad. And you follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, and you keep up with us, whatever we end up doing. All right. Well, once again, uh, Andrew Resnick, Samantha Martin, and Kobe Labee, thank you so much for stopping by and uh, for treating us, us to a, a fun live performance here. Thank you. <laughs> 
on the boards. Mexico City comes to New York City via way of Paris, France in Anjou. A Tale of Horror, a new musical that is being directed by Edgardo Lar. And he is here as well as several of the, the amazing young cast performers to perform a couple numbers from the show here. How are you doing, Edgardo? Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> Very pleased to be here. So this is quite a, a, an undertaking for you guys. I mean, not only the show, but you brought the whole cast from Mexico City, correct? Yes, we're bringing in all the cast and crew from Mexico City, which is 45 people. That's going to be... Has, have have George Bush's laws made it harder for you to get them across the border <laughs> to come perform? I, I'm so glad they haven't, because as they, as they per- taped their performances just before this, I, I was very impressed. Well, no, no, no. We, we had no, no, any trouble getting here. Most of us already had our visas, and... The guys who didn't, we just applied for a group visa for this cultural event, and the embassy was very kind to grant it right away. So tell us a little bit about Anjou, A Tale of Horror. Well, this is a Mexican musical, which is about, it, it's inspired. Is a Mexican in, musical different than an American musical? I wouldn't say that, so. That's half joking and half serious, <laughs> the way you say it. It's a Mexican musical. It's a Mexican musical. <laughs> I think it's important that it's, it's from Mexican authors yeah. because this is the first time ever a Mexican group is going to be joining the NIMF, New York Musical Theater Festival. And, well, when we were invited to participate as a group, we had to choose which musical would we do. And we thought it would be very important that we would pick a Mexican musical since... Uh, well, you know, we're bringing this uh, different image of Mexico. This is not a folk thing. This is not about pyramids or, you know, mariachis or anything at all. This is a musical that, in a way, is an statement because just by being about a French queen in the 16th century tells you something about, you know, the, the broad specter of what an Mexican authors can offer in musicals. So that was on one side. And I don't think there's a difference, you know, like like in structure from a Mexican musical to an American musical because if there's something we've learned is that there are every sort of musical. So... (laughs) So, uh, what... As a director, how long have you been working with this piece? I mean, have they been working on this for a while before in, in Mexico City? And the cast, I'll get into that question later. I have a lot that I want to ask you. Well, we've been working now three months with this with this piece. It's it's a rather complicated uh, one. It's, it's very, very demanding in the actor's side, you know, acting this. It's very complicated because... Our actors are very young, and some of the characters in the musical are quite, if not old, quite mature. And they have these controversial behaviors and feelings that are rather complicated to accomplish. So the cast ladies, they are young. Are they all students at at the program, or are they...? Well, definitely, yes. All of them, they're students. They are uh, in a range of ages that goes from 16 years old to 21. So that for it's 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 not easy to to direct them to you know like if you're 19 year old and you have to represent Catherine de Medici, which was at the time like probably 40 something and had nine kids 
and had gone through many, many tremendous historical events, you really have to work a lot to get there. All right, so uh, where are you guys playing here in, the, in New York? What theater with Nympha? It sounds like a big cast and crew. <laughs> what, what theater is housing this? <laughs> we'll be at the Theater at St. Clement's, which is in 46th Street. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be, we will have four performances there, which will be the 8th of October, 9th, 11th, and 12th. All right, but we're going to do a little bit more interviewing after we hear their live performances here in the studio, the tracks you brought. Do you want to set up this uh, first song and then introduce the two singers? Oh, yes. Well, this song is the moment where Catherine de Medici is forcing her son Charles to sign a document inviting the Protestants to go to the wedding of her daughter. But, you know, this is a trap. The, the, she's calling the Protestants to come and celebrate the wedding for them to be slaughtered at the night of San Bartholomew. So he, he knows that something fishy is going there, and he doesn't want to sign. And then she, she really gets into his mind and tortures him and scares him to death until he signs the document. All right. And who's, uh, who's performing? We have Liesl... Lar performing, Queen Catherine, and Daniel Tejeda performing King Charles. All right, let's tell you, let's have them perform. Este documento me parece extraño. Lo que me proponen es un vil engaño. Yo no lo firmaré, no voy a invitar a una boda real, católicos y protestantes sin ninguna protección. Si Carlos no firma este documento, esos cerdos protestantes jamás caerán en nuestras manos. Yo soy la madre del rey y creo saber cómo convencerlo. Grandioso rey, mi hijo también, la autoridad, poder absoluto, tan brillante, quien lo niegue, pero no quiero dudar de tu inteligencia, que andas mal, que ya no te acuerdas del castigo que Corriendo, no, no me obligues a ser. Al final me obedecerás. El verdugo del pueblo. Tu Mi madre, madre me ordena. Debo recordar que yo soy capaz de llegar a la crueldad. Piensa en los tormentos que.
ese documento. Fantastic. So now they, we got another number they're going to perform here from the show. Uh, do you want to set up this next song and then the two people performing this? Okay, well, in, in a very, very interesting way, the prince, the favorite son of Catherine, Henry, he hates uh, his sister lover because he's a Protestant. And this, this tells you about a, a lot about the play because this is basically... A play about intolerance, you know, and what it can lead you to if you're intolerant. So he goes to his sister to mock her about being in love with a Protestant and the dangers that this implies. All right, and who's performing? And we have uh, the part of Margot performed by Maite de Samaniego and the part of Henry Danjou performed by Jim Genady. All right, let's take a listen. Mi querida hermana, perdona, interrumpo tu intimidad. Esta noche luces radiante, como quien espera encontrar a una persona especial. En verdad demuestro mi encanto, que hasta tú lo puedes notar. El amor me envuelve en su manto. Me regala felicidad No sabía del sentimiento Al que todos en la vida podemos llegar Yo quisiera que encontraras un amor Como el de Arturo y puedas probar Yo no necesito de Arturos Que me den ejemplos de amar Es un enemigo del reino No lo deberías querer no es católico y su sangre es corriente, es vulgar en su forma de actuar. No me importa lo que creas y en mis íntimos deseos me ha de saciar. Yo no sé qué te ha dado, que el juicio has perdido, qué rara estás. Es que te ha embrujado, no entiendo tu grado de amor por él. Serán sus caricias sobre mi piel La manera en que besa de pies a cabeza Soy toda de él. Tus palabras solo dan nada Well, I'm certainly glad you've undertaken the, the journey and the mission to bring this show here to the United States. And uh, any last parting shots you'd like to get off here before uh, we wrap up? Well, we would very much like to see, like to give a new idea of what Mexico is with this production. 
sometimes, you know, uh, the Okay, patients. I'm going to be very un-PC here and, and just kind of <laughs> honest. I mean, like, here in America, I think we get inundated so much with, oh, they're trying to immigrate. I, I saw a lot of very attractive, clean-cut, you know, quite frankly, you know, you know, not American-looking kids, you know, that were just, you know, seem intelligent, smart, and I think the media does demonize Mexico a lot, and just on my personal perspective and being willing to be completely un-PC, I was like, oh, wow, they're like normal kids. And well, I, I, I was shocked that I was shocked. <laughs> well, the thing is that, you know, uh, Michael, the, the thing is we get a lot of press and a, guy, uh, a lot of images about Mexico we know about drug dealers and insecurity and all these kind of things which actually exist but you know this actually exists in every country in the world probably <laughs> and I would have to say to the people that well 99.9 something percent of Mexicans are just like everyone else in the world we wake up every morning we work very very hard you know to support our families we have dreams we we don't have time to be doing any wrongdoings <laughs> And this is the image that we want to bring, that we're bringing in with this production, you know? These are regular kids. These, these kids are not from actors' schools or anything. They're studying different careers at the university. They're studying at high schools. And they de devote a lot of their time, all their free time, to excel in acting and singing doing this production. So we would like people to see that this is the real Mexico. It's just that we're not as noisy as that 0.0001%, which are very few, but they're very loud and noisy, because we don't have time to be noisy. We are just like you, working hard every day to make a living, an honest living. And we would like very much the people to be able to see that side. That's fantastic, and, and, and hopefully you do a comp set. One other thing, bringing 45 people here, was, was it hard to get, did you get individual support or organizational support or government support to bring this whole 45-person extravaganza <laughs> over to me? Because that's not cheap, I, I, I know that can't be. <laughs> well, it, it is definitely not cheap because, you know, well, flying 45 people in and stay in New York for a week and, you know, hotels, food and all that stuff. Uh, we have gotten support, and this is this is amazing. We have gotten support from government, from corporations, for individuals. There, there's a lot of people interested in supporting these young people doing this. Any of those people that deserve special thanks? I can. I oh yeah, no definitely like yes. I, I would say definitely uh, Janine Carvajal and, uh, and Ricardo Carvajal, which are the main sponsors of the event. They are the the president, uh, the presidents of the of the association that brings in this show. And, you know, there, there's a lot of other companies. The, the government of the state of Mexico has been supportive. Uh, the, the Secretary of Education of Mexico and many, many companies. They are all being very supportive. Everyone's helping. And they really want us to bring this image of Mexico here. All right. Well, Edgardo Lar, um, I wish you the best of luck with your performance. I know that you've been getting... Uh, some fantastic notice already from some of the early press on it, and, and I hope that works out well for you as you go on. Thank you so very much for having us here. Mm -hmm. Welcome.
on the boards. Faust gets reconceived into a modern private prep school in Academy from October 6th through October 17th. And we have actors Antonio Adio and Wilson Bridges here to discuss this show. Uh, how you guys doing? Good. Doing pretty good. good. Want to introduce yourselves quick so people can connect your uh, voice with your name? Hey, I'm Wilson. And I'm Antonio Adeo. <laughs> All right. So this is, the, this is the spiel everybody's getting to start here. You got 15 seconds because you're on an elevator to convince somebody to see the show. So, Antonio, your 15-second elevator pitch. My 15 seconds, uh, it's a timeless story of young boys learning what it is to be a man. Everybody loves that integrity story, that coming-of-age story, and you give it in a setting with all boys in a pop uh, music setting. People love it. I mean, I'm excited for the harmonies, if for oh, nothing wait. else. So. Can't wait. Okay, now you get a little bit longer spiel here on, uh, on tell us, you guys tell us a little bit more about Academy. Okay, so it's set, it's based on... It's based on Goethe's Faust. As we uh, said. With, whereas in Goethe's Faust, God and the Devil make a bet over a man's soul. In our show, two of the seniors make a bet over right. a freshman's uh, academic life. Every freshman year at St. Edwards, every year, every freshman, the three freshmen with the lowest GPA get kicked out of St. Edwards. There's a lot of pressure on their heads to, to succeed, succeed yeah. to rise to the occasion. It's a very prestigious academy. People who graduate from the school go on to be the movers and shakers of the world. Yeah. And these two seniors um, make a bet over whether or not they can either persuade him to persuade this the freshman to do wrong or to do right. Yeah. Really. My character Michael is the is the good guy. He's always encouraging this freshman that we bet over to do the right thing, study, keep your head in the game. It'll work out. Whereas the other guy, Amory, bad guy, he always encourages him Get ahead. This is how you get ahead in life. You don't do it by sticking your nose in a book. You you grab the cheat yeah. sheets. You, you trick people. You yeah. do it. That's what you do. You walk on other people. And now, yeah. saying good or bad is too much of a black and white thing. With both Amory and Michael's characters, um, they're both actually good guys. They just come from different backgrounds, and they're... They're both just struggling with what it means to to be a man and what it means to succeed and, and what it means to to do what's right, especially when both of their fathers are not exactly being the good role models and examples yeah. that they are to be. So they keep looking to their friends and to the people around them on, what should I be? What should I emulate? You know, and it's all about their journey, trying to discover that. It sounds like Michael Moore needs to come in and do a documentary on the... <laughs> 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 on this how, how many f academy graduates go to work at Enron? Um, <laughs> What's the st statistic of uh, senators yeah. and presidents yeah. pumping out of the school? Yes. Because I'm sure there, there are schools and academies like this in the world. Oh, absolutely. These prestigious prep schools. And these kids are under a lot of pressure from their families because their legacies, because their father's father has been going to this school. But inevitably, all, they, all these kids really want to be is just be kids. Yeah. They, they love learning, but there's so much pressure on their heads that they're, they're always thinking five steps ahead of the game into college, into post. And... All these kids really want to do. There's this whole song called I Want to Be a Poet where all these kids just sing about what I really want to be, what I really want to do. And they're not allowed to be artists and they're not allowed to be thinkers or, or dreamers. They have to be practicals. And they have to you know, follow that straight. They pretty much have to follow in their parents' footsteps. Mm -hmm. So did you guys go to prep school yourself? 
No, public school all <laughs> no. the way. Yeah, public school. Actually, Diversity. I started out in Catholic school and then moved after fifth grade into public school, and it was the best decision of my life. All right. Well, before we continue, uh, we got a song here. I believe it's a live recording, uh, a demo that that they're sending over uh, called uh, "My Father." Do you guys want to set this one up here for us? This is Amory's song. Uh, Amory's dad. Uh, he's wealthy. He's well connected. He's always put a lot of pressure on um, Amory. Oh, no, that's not right. The problem is Amory is always trying to get his father's attention. Yeah. But nothing that he do he does, whether it's good or bad, ever gets away from his father. And the whole song is just all about his frustration with him. Like, why can't you be the father I am? Why did you raise me this way? Why won't you talk to me? Why won't you connect with me? It's his cry, his personal yeah. Reaching out to him. Exactly. All right, let's That's take a listen. <laughs> So what's your guys' story in your, in your pursuit of your acting careers? Um, well, I, I just graduated from AMDA, and I uh, got, an, got my agent, the talent. I got an agent through graduating, and pretty much it, it's just been going and going, if that's what you want. <laughs> I might not have understood the question. <laughs> <laughs> can I phone a friend? Yeah, can I call my mom? Can I take my lifeline? <laughs> like a sidewalk uh, street call from a cab? Well, you're in a show, so I guess that's Yeah, helping. so, right, you know, my first one, actually, in, in, since I've been out of school. Well, that's I, good. So that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. This is my first project in actual New York. I keep oh, wow. going out on, like, tour or regional gigs, which is awesome. And I'm like, nice, I've yeah. worked pretty steadily the last two years, and I've been really happy. But this is my first thing that's in New York. And that's so kind of the 
the gold, not yeah. just because it kind of gets it opens more doors and gets you to other venues and places, but it gets you seen and it allows you to do a work where you live. Sometimes it can be so frustrating to continually travel and um, always pick up root and you know we're in our twenties. This is the time to yeah. to be able to do that. But it is nice to have this opportunity. And the Nim Festival has been around for a while now, and I know for me it's been a goal of mine that I've wanted to do a show with the Nim Festival because new work is so important. Um, especially right now with the recession because it is so difficult to get shows produced just because it is a risky investment. It takes a while for a Much show. less risky compared to everything else now. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please exactly. keep telling producers that because I feel like some of them have forgotten that. Um, but it's, it's really important. It's important to support new works because when these – until a project really gets picked up, it's hard to get it produced. A lot of these guys are producing these shows out of pocket. Yeah. And so I think it's important for the community to support this. And it's exciting. I feel like this is what we – this is the reason why we're actors, to create and to explore something new and to come in one day and be like, okay, that scene struck. We're going to do this next one. And I'm like, great. I'm not married to anything. I just want to keep molding, yeah. keep creating, see something go from its birth to its inception and to go from this toddler to this young man on stage. It's, yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> All right. Odd metaphor, but yeah. <laughs> eh, I go with it. You can also get married and have a kid. It's yeah. Like, it's a much more surefire. <laughs> Fandom just did. <laughs> the sequel's coming up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really dying for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Musical sequels are always so good. <laughs> well, it worked in movies so well. Why not try it uh, on stage? You know, there though there has been one successful. You know, there have been musical sequels, all flops, except for the nonsense Spawn. All seem. To, oh yeah. To like, I feel like that's a, that's that's kind of different. We're, yeah. It, I like all the. Uh, I like. The, I like Phantom. The you are no nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but in, Be afraid. You are nothing without that habit. <laughs> All right, so Academy uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, do you know the, the composers, by the way? You want to say the writers really quick? John Mercurio, uh, he did the music, book, and lyrics, and Andrew Cato was a co-conceiver of the show. Yeah. And uh, John also did the music and lyrics for Glimpses of the Moon, didn't he? Yes. And which we, we had a few times on the program, so our listeners may be a little familiar with his work. All right, so October 6th through October 17th, and uh, they can go to the nymph.org website to find out the crazy festival times and, yes, and schedules. Absolutely. All right. Any parting shots you guys would like to get out? Um, nothing much. Just come out no, and support yeah. the show. It's selling out quick, so buy tickets as fast as you can. Great show. You'll have fun. Just come out. <laughs> All right. Antonio Adeo and Wilson Bridges, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for having Thank us. You. We're going to run out with a choral number, uh, a short section choral number from the opening of the show. Does this need any setup or is this It's pretty... really pretty much just all the kids getting ready to leave. Everybody getting school. on the bus to go to school. Yeah. And all of their hopes and fears that are going through their heads on the first day. <laughs> all right. Well, check out Academy from October 6th to the 17th. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Awards. A bunch of losers get a superhero of their very own in Whatever Man, playing at the New York Musical Theater Festival from September 29th through October 8th. And we have got uh, two of the lead actors here, Kristen Maloney, who plays Anna, and Colin Hanlon. Colin. Colin, sorry. That's of Colin Powell. Colin. Colin Powell ruined it for me. <laughs> That's really what it is. <laughs> Who plays Charlie? How are you guys doing? We're good. Good. All right. So the very first thing that I've been asking everybody, and uh, I didn't prep you this because it's supposed to be a surprise, mm-hmm. is your 15-second elevator pitch. You, you hop on an elevator, Kristen. You're trying to tell somebody why they should come see whatever, man. you got 15 seconds. Go. Oh, the show has got fantastic music. You get to see the most amazing cast members work out their comic chops. <laughs> and uh, trust me, you have never seen a story quite like this. All right. And uh, Colin, uh, your 15 seconds. I would agree. Um, I think that it's... Uh, she isn't there in the elevator. Oh, all right. This is just me. I think we're already on. Are we already on like eight seconds by now? Um, yeah. You know, it's it's to me it's a, it's a, it's kind of a sitcom set to music, and you know uh, Ben Strauss, the composer, is really talented, and he has a, a new eye and ear for comedy, and um, I think it's pretty great. We're having a good time. So. Uh, Whatever, you know, man. I got and, into my office. Yeah. Kristen and, <laughs> and I are very talented. So why, who wouldn't want to come and see Seriously. our work? Let's uh-huh. be honest. All right, so now we're we're cleared past the fifteen second time limit. Tell us a little bit. What what is now whatever man about? Um, you want to go? You want to we say? Oh, gosh. All right, I'll say it. So All right, um, it's basically about this character named Charlie that I play, and he and Anna, who um, Kristen plays, we have um, a, a little bit of a dysfunctional relationship, but we love each other a lot, and. I'm, I don't really have any uh, uh, drive in life, and she is very successful, and I'm basically living off of her. So she convinces me to go to group therapy, and when I get to group therapy— Is this therapy, every actor and artist in New York? Um, well, it's me. It's, I, was, <laughs> I was typecast, I guess. Um, uh, but uh, I go to group therapy, and everyone there is a more loser-ish than I am, if that is a word. And— um, <laughs> Uh, I meet this guy named Gary who um, the next day I'm in my apartment and he just happens to walk through the door and I discover that he is a superhero after he scares the poop out of me. And um, I end up helping him uh, with his um, lack of drive and lack of security. And with that, I'm, uh, he's going to use his superpowers to help save the world because the world is in peril as we find out in the play. I don't want to give too much away in, with the ending because, you know... That would now, give too much away. My question is, don't losers already have every superhero ever known? Um, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, wait, you mean aren't superheroes losers? <laughs> I don't know if I understand the question. Right. You said you joined a bunch of a group of losers, you know, you know oh, a group okay. of losers, and I'm just thinking, aren't those the people that do? I'm going to get flamed for this. I'm I sure. know, yeah. Are you saying that people that like superheroes are losers? That's what you're saying. Come That's on. our entire fan base. Superman. Well, I'm not into superheroes, so I guess that makes me not a loser. No, I don't know. All right, before we continue, should we play? Uh, I know the composer sent in a demo of his uh, sure. songs. Uh, so this first one we're going to play, do you want to set it up here? No, I think it's Forgotten, correct? Is that what we play first? I yeah. so, yes. Um, it basically is the, is, it's the beginning of the show, and it sort of has one of the best uh, melodic hooks in the show I think it kind of sets it up and it's it's sort of all happening in Charlie's mind and it's him talking at a 
in uh, in another planet, like helping this world of superheroes um, band together and you know try to save the universe. And it's all sort of happening in his mind. It's just the opening, the opening big montage, I guess. All right, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a listen. What's the matter, my man? So you wanna make a difference? Fine. What you need is a plan. Something more than dying on the vine. Apply, supply. Get the hell off of your ass and fast. Inhale, exhale. No one wants to fail. I don't wanna be forgotten. I just want the world to know me. All that suffering and pain. I won't live this life in vain. I have some imagination. It's what got me through my childhood. Why is living life so tough? Enough's enough. Enough's enough. Stop the fooling around. This lifetime comes around one time. Was lost, now I'm found. Got a job to do, put it on the line. Needed a jolt. All the focus on the wealth and fame. The light, the sun, nowhere to run. I don't want to be forgotten. I just want the world to know me. To become a force of one. All the good things to be done. I got stories that'll chill you. I got songs that make you cry out. But if I don't put them down, I'm just a clown. since the 15-second elevator pitch. <laughs> um, well, I play Anna Pink, and I am Charlie's long-suffering girlfriend. Um, we've been together for a good long time, and he hasn't made any sort of commitment. And um, But I love him very much, so I'm sticking with him for the long haul. And we probably you know, agreed that we would go into some kind of therapy if we'd been in the relationship for a good long time and it wasn't progressing. So Charlie is 
uh, bending to my wish to go to group therapy. And um, his doing so brings all of this excitement into our life and into the world. And there's a little bit of a... Um, a hiccup in our relationship that happened somewhere around the end of Act 1, beginning of Act 2. So we have uh, quite a few curveballs to get through, but we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> now, with so many nymph shows going on, you know, for the actors involved, I know they, they all find their ways in various ways. Some mm-hmm. of their agents plot the script on the desk. Some have been doing the show and readings for years. Some have, you know, auditioned. Some knew the composer. Do you guys have an interesting story of how you got in, into the nymph show here? Um... Well, I guess I didn't know I didn't know Ben Strauss. Um, this is the first time I'm meeting him, but I do know the director, Hillary Adams. She and I have worked together on a couple of different projects, new material, and um, we also did a show together about five or six years ago. And when I saw this script, I thought, oh, wow, this is certainly going to be quite an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> and we <laughs> were like... It, and, um, I guess you would say that I was really looking forward to being a part of something where I could use my strong-willed femaleness and be a part of a really unique experience. Mm. All right. And Colin? Uh, I actually don't know. I, um, you don't know? I, 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 don't, I just ended up in the show. I don't even know how I'm here. how I'm in this recording studio right now. I just remember going to sleep last night, and that's all I remember. Um, no, I, uh, I just I got a call from my agent, and they um, had sent me the script, and I, uh, I read it. And I, I don't know who in the team knew me before. I don't know whether they saw something that I was in um, or whatnot. I've never actually asked anybody. But... Um, um, I, I had heard of Hillary before, but I'd never seen any of her work, and I heard really great things about her. And I didn't know Ben. I think this is Ben's, you know, one of his first big things that he's doing. And I think the best part about everything is that they've been very open to all of our suggestions mm-hmm. on parts where we're confused in the plot and, you know, the story or certain lines or where the characters are going. And and both Ben and Hillary have been great about keeping that line of communication open and, and uh, you know, possibly changing things. And it's hard for Ben because he's writing the book, the lyrics, and the music, and that's a hard task because it's really hard. And when you're doing it, you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of, so you don't really know what's working until you get in the room and you hear all the actors and mm-hmm. hear their opinions and hear them, you know, read the scenes and then have the director and everything. So he's been really great about it, so I have to say. Yeah. It's been a good process so far. Definitely. And it's changed a lot since day one. Sure. In a, in a really good way. So that's what I think Nymph should be about is the work and, yeah, mm-hmm. not the actors. <laughs> you know. Definitely. So why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think I'll just leave. Because you. I'm hoping <laughs> this wins me my Tony is what I'm t- saying to you. Whatever, man. All right. So we, uh, I know he sent in another song off the demos. So do you want to set up the second song we're going to play? Here? It's your song, I think, uh, right? Yes, it is. This is um, Truth. This is Anna's song in the beginning of Act 2. Uh, and by the way, neither of these songs are you singing, actually, on the demo, correct? No, it's not it's us. Because uh-huh. of Equity's Crazy Rules. And I know. I know. Everything. So these are the older demos. Just yes. Yes. But okay. continue setting up your oh, song. Oh, no, this is fine. This is um, Truth, sung by Anna in the beginning of Act 2. Okay, no more information needed. I don't want to give away anything. I know, it's hard. The second act is hard because it gives away a lot of information. <laughs> Whatever, it's man. very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> All right, let's take a listen. Tell me where, oh, where does the truth lie? Tell me where, oh, where does it start and end? Tell me where, oh, where, tell me where, oh, where. Someone tell me fast, stop kidding. 
So Whatever Man is playing from September 29th through October 8th, and they can go to the nymph.org website to find all those crazy festival times and schedules. Uh, do you know what theater this is playing at? We have the 45th Street Theater. Yes. Okay. Between uh, 8th and 9th, right? Yeah. On yeah. what? On, on 45th. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. The 45th. It's crazy How that they, they called the it that. I don't even know. I didn't name it, but it's genius. <laughs> and um, also, I just want to give a quick plug. Uh, Krista Maloney, I know that you also are a lyricist because you were just in the studio last Friday uh, with Karen Olivo for a song that's going to be on the VMI No More Revival CD. Oh, yeah. So congratulations on that. And, and thank you. Yeah. And when our listeners hear that CD come out early next year, they can realize that you're 
you were the writer for uh, Karen Oliva's song. Yes. Totally. Yes. And we'd actually have a snippet of that up on Facebook of the recording session. So, it, go. yeah, definitely go listen, get a preview. Yay. Awesome. All right. So, Whatever Man, September 29th through October 8th, Kristen Maloney and Colin Hanlon, thank you so much for stopping by. And thank best you. Best of luck with the production. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up Volume 322 of Broadway Bullet. I also want to explain something. Um, Last episode and this episode, there are no chapters, unfortunately. Uh, Something is wrong with my Mac Mini that has to be used to convert things to chapters, and I haven't had time to figure out what is going wrong with it. So uh, hopefully we'll be back on board with chaptered episodes soon. I'll keep you informed, but I apologize for that. In any case, we're going to be back on October 22nd with a brand new episode covering things that aren't Nymph. And I believe there's going to be uh, a special Broadway abridged of West Side Story in that episode. So you'll want to check that out. Go ahead. Enjoy the Nymph Festival. Again, it's nymf.org. Well, everybody, thanks for hopping on board. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we'll see you next episode. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. We're starved, so shouldn't audition come up? We are so ready and raring. So Jake Kowski says my name and I'm in the can. So actually, the bar faith thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. So it didn't take much, though, to propose. things with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.